This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and I'm Pastor Scott Rambo. Welcome to the classroom. Let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. Context is where we read something in here and we understand it the way that we understand it thousands of years later, and there's a, there's a big breakdown there. Because whenever Jesus says things to them in that day and time, they understood what he was saying based on the way religion was. Let's call it religion, because what did Jesus come to destroy? Religion. He came to save who? The sinner, not the prideful, not the arrogant, not the righteous. So going into that, as we go into this study today, let's keep that in mind. If you would, bow your heads. Father, we thank you yet again for another time to divide your word. God, I pray in Jesus' name that it's not... What's on this paper right here, Father, and it's not what is in me, God, but what you pour out today. Father, I thank you for how merciful you are and how graceful you are, for your ability to give us exactly what we need when we need it, whether that be comfort, Lord, whether it be a word from you. Father, I just ask that I'm used as a vessel this morning, that your word would not return void. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, Matthew 5 and 3. The last thing that we left off in, I love verse 2. Verse 2 says this, simply, 5 and 2 of Matthew. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying. Jesus opened his mouth and began the teaching. But it, regardless of who you listen to, I love a lot of men on, that I listen to. There's quite a few of them that I enjoy listening to. There's a lot of them. And they will tell you, that the, most people will tell you, this is the greatest sermon that's ever been taught in the history of the world. There's no other sermon that is as detailed, that covers as much stuff, that's just so poignant to the point. And there's nothing that you can, everything in here, there's no parables in it. Like Jesus taught. He didn't leave it up to the mystery that you have to have, you have to have the Spirit of God, which is what we're going to find this morning, before you can ever understand the truths of the Word of God. But even in this, the context, the things he says, it is black and white. It is for those who knew nothing of Christ, knew nothing of anything. They didn't have to be anything. The average person we meet, they have a knowledge, a general knowledge of who Jesus is, but they have no idea what believe means. Believeth, 4100 in the Greek. It's active. It's alive. It's second by second, moment by moment. This, that's the bad thing is John 316. I love it, but it's one of the, it's one of the most misconstrued verses there is because people say, well, I believe. Well, yeah, you believe in your brakes. That's why you put your foot on them. But most people have more faith in their brakes than they have in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is supposed to be their Lord and Savior. There's a problem with that. You're not saved. That is one of, And here's the thing is, we get down to this. People, which is more offensive? You've never been saved, or you can't be saved for eternity? Once saved, always saved. Is that, a, is that, how could either one of those, they're both super offensive if you believe one and someone else doesn't believe it, but here's the reality of it. Those who are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who are predestined before the foundations of the earth, they will persevere. And Jesus is going to explain that this morning, but we have to get the context of it to understand what he's saying to them in their time. So he simply says, this is a simple verse, one verse, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Two words, are, are, that's now. We talk about this a lot because it's the reality. It's the same thing as your salvation. Just as if you had never been saved. Justification. You were saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. Everything across this whole entire word is what was, what is, and what will be. What is Christ? What is God? He always was. He always is. He always will be. Well, so is His word. It says every single thing will burn away except for what? This. This stands for eternity, because guess what? In the end, when we stand before him, if this doesn't stand, then nothing stands. It's all a lie. 
So blessed, let's go through the Greek and we're going to define each one. Blessed, happy, favored, or to be envied by those who don't have something. And this equates to joy. Matthew 15 talks about that. What did, joy, what did Jesus say? I want you to be one with my Father as I'm one with my Father so that your joy might be full. He doesn't want us to live a life of just sadness, continual sadness. Look at Paul's life. Paul had a miserable existence. Wonderful man. Awesome. Awesome. But he understood something about who he was and who he had become. And who had done that, and despite everything that he went through, and we could start in Acts, it's a terrible, <laughs> all the way to the end. I mean, Acts 27, we get to the end and we're like, holy moly. But do you notice that through the whole thing, what did the one thing he always did, what God told him to? In every instance, in every occurrence, he said what God told him to, to do. Or he did exactly what God, and he always stayed in. This is the difference that you and I have. I don't know when I'm going to die. I know that I will die because the word says I will. Paul knew that he would not die until he was in Rome. He already knew that. He said, I know that I'm going to die. So through the whole time when all these terrible, miserable things are happening to him, why he says, man, I long to be with the Lord, but I know that I'm not. How does he know he's not? Because he's not where he's supposed to be yet. He had to get to that point. Then once he got there, it definitely wasn't quick anymore. It was a drawn out thing. But all during that time, guess what he wrote? Two thirds of this. He was writing down what God was giving him the whole time he was persecuted. Whenever he was beaten many times, you get beaten bad enough and you're stuck in the dungeon of the dungeon. This dude was sick. He had fever. He was in a bad, bad way, but yet they sang and God moved on their behalf. What does joy sound like? It sounds like different things. I don't think that they had perfect voices and they just worshiped God and he was like, oh, that sounds beautiful. I'm going to work. No, that's not how this works. And it doesn't work that way for us today. That's why prosperity gospel is of the devil. And it will lead many people to hell because they're believing in untruth. So happy, favored, envied, poor, poor, destitute, beggarly, humble, destitute, poor in what? Spirit, the power by which a human being feels, thinks, wills, decides. It's a soul. The word defines it. It's uh, you have the heart, which is also in Greek, and that's 2588 in the Greek. OK, and it's the seat of intellect and the life. So here's the thing. When people say, well, it's in your heart, that does not mean right here. 2588 is not this heart. This heart does one thing. It physically pumps blood that's being oxygenated by your lungs. That is it. There's nothing in your heart that's going to save you. Matter of fact, the Word of God says your heart is deceitfully wicked. But that's not even talking about this one. It's the seat of your intellect. You cannot stay the way you are and go to heaven. The fact that you were born means you are destined for hell. Jesus is explaining that right now. The fact that you were born, because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of those, the scribes, what do they say? We're rich. You're rich in what? We're rich in our inheritance. Our inheritance is, it goes all the way back, guys. I mean, we're going back to Abram. You want to know where my lineage is? You want to know how rich my, my religion is? It goes back to before there was the Ten Commandments. What are you going to say about that? God told him that his seed would inherit the earth and they would be like the, the sands. And what did Jesus tell them? That's, that means nothing. Absolutely nothing. I came here to show you a better way and to show you the way, but you cling to this. What does man do now? You cling to religion. Religion sends people to hell. Doctrines of devils is what most religion is. You want to go and take a religion and break it down and look at what it says? Men have taken and said what they think and interpret what the Word of God says and then ask you to live out by a doctrine that's not the doctrine of this. What does the Word of God say? Acts chapter 2. 
I live out the apostles' doctrine. When I live out the apostles' doctrine and I fellowship with my brethren, I eat with my brethren, God adds to the church such as he will. We're not Baptist here. We're not Catholic. We're not Pentecost. We're not anything. We, are, we follow the apostles' doctrine, which is the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need to add a moniker to your name. There's not going to be different sections of heaven that are denominational. Like you walk in and go, yep, here, over here, come to the Pentecost side, come to the Baptist side. Catholics, you guys go in the back. Some of your brothers are going to be here because we're straight going to pray them in. They're, they're still in purgatory. That's not how this works. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Let's just be rational this morning. Think about what the Word of God says and stop worrying about preconceived notions and what you knew or what you, your grandma know or what got them into heaven. No, no, no. None of that matters. Poor in spirit, theirs, important, theirs. An absolute, unconditional, personal pronoun. That's, this is you. That what? Is prompted or influenced by another. You, can, you could never be saved on your own volition. The very idea that you, in your depravity, in your sin, as a God-hater, could ever fathom that God is good is an impossibility. What does the Word of God say? I pray, that, who, who, who's first? Unless God deals with a man, a man cannot be saved. Which came first? Your, your justification or your faith? Uh, simultaneous. Your, your faith, by faith you were saved. Who gave you that faith? You didn't have it. You, you were antichrist. Jesus Christ gives you faith. In the moment you receive faith, you receive justification, just as if you had never sinned. In that same, the Spirit of God fills you. And you are filled with that Spirit of God because guess what? I hate to tell you this. It gets all over you. Predestination is a reality. Not the way that the world thinks it is. But you were predestined before the foundations of the earth to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Either you were or you were not. If it was left up to me and you, we would go to hell. Whenever, G whenever God decided before the foundations of the earth to slay his son, he had to make a conscious decision because he's all-knowing. And this is what he knew, that we were wicked and none of us would make it. No, not one. Not one of us. Save this. I will have a bride for my son. Because if I ask my son to go and die for a lost and dying world, it will not come up short in the end. Now, I don't know what your doctrine is or what you hold to, but I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says that before the foundations of the earth, He chose a people that would be His people. Second Peter 2 tells us of those people. You're a peculiar people. That's who you are this morning. If you're born again, filled with the Spirit of God, that is you. That is who you are. Now walk in that. That's, he's going to go through what you are. Why does He start with this? It says, is... Spirit, theirs is. He or she is fit a share in. It's, a, it's definite. Is. You are here right now. The first thing it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You are right here. Your salvation is secure. That's 100%. That's you can't take that away. No one's going to pluck you out of the hand of God. That's a crazy thought. The kingdom, the congregation of those who inhabit the royal city. It's a godly place. It's a royal place. Of what? The dwelling place of God. That's what heaven is. The dwelling place of God who can never, ever leave his throne. This idea that, that there's one entity and God left heaven and left his throne and came down here, you, that's not in the Word. If God leaves his throne, his, everything's chaos. 
He has a place and he has been in that place since the beginning of forever. What does that look like? I have no idea because this word says I cannot fathom it. And the man who tells you he has a full understanding of it, run away from him. Mark him as a devil and stay away from that individual because he is a liar. Because the word of God also tells me that there's coming a day when I will know as, thou, as I am known. I don't know everything, church. And I don't know everything about this wicked heart that's in me. This mind that, thank God, has a filter on it now. I'm an evil man because I was shaped in iniquity. I was born into the sin of Adam. And guess what? All that sin that's in me is still being purged out. I'm not sinless. If we say we're sinless, we make God a liar. Oh, this, it's a, some of that stuff, is, it's annoying. You talk about righteous indignation. The things that people tell people are wrong. Just this is a whole thing like Ethan's dealing with a person who pastors a church in Marks. He lives out here, but pastors a church in Marksville. Charismatic, very charismatic individual. And he comes in there and talks to Ethan about things. And he told him uh, with daddy, he said, well, he saw him at the dollar store on 115. And the guy said, well, how's your grandfather? And he said, well, he's not doing well. He said, well, we're going to slip a miracle in because, you know, that's how God works. So then whenever Ethan saw him this last week, he said, well, how is your grandpa doing? And he said, he's perfect. He's doing great. And the guy said, oh, good. He got the, he said, no, sir, he died. He's perfect. He's way better than you and I are. And the guy said, well, I'm, I'm so sorry. He said, no, don't be sorry. Just if you can't just come in here and do your business, don't come to my window. Because what you said is wrong. And it was not from God. It was not of God. So quit pushing your theology on me because it's wrong. Prosperity gospel is the most hateful garbage there is because here's what happens. You make a promise to an individual. When the promise doesn't come through, they lose faith in God. When what happened was it's the man who did it because it was a lie. We don't have the power to do that, church. We pray by faith, laying hands on just as it says in James, and we pray to be in conformed to the will of God. What does it look like if you pray God's will? What is praying God's will? Lord, help me accept your truth. That is the will of God. His, the will of God is not to heal everybody. It's not to save everybody. It's to, be, it's to conform to His will, our understanding. That's a hard, hard place to be. So this is just, I like to write it out so it makes sense in my mind for now. So the same thing, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Greek translation, favored are those destitute in their feelings, thoughts, will, and decisions for he or she is fit for a share in the congregation of those who inhabit the royal city, the dwelling place of God. Guess why it starts with five and three. Let me ask you this. This individual who realized they were poor in spirit, what happened to them at that moment? What happened? What do you think? If you had to guess, they received something. What was it that they received when they realized that? They received salvation. Jesus Christ is saying, lest you be saved, none of the rest of this applies to you. Blessed be those who are saved. Blessed be those who are poor in spirit. Because a Sadducee, a Pharisee, a scribe, they could not be saved. Because they were haughty and prideful. And they had the word and they had God and he belonged to them. And he didn't belong to anyone else. The word of God says that he actually chose them. It still says that. Romans 11. They are his chosen people. 11 and 25 tells us this. All of Israel will be saved. Wait a minute, Brother Matt. All of Israel? Yeah, because guess what? Not all of Israel is all of Israel. And guess what? Not all of the church is all of the church. But the church, the bride of Christ, will be saved. But those who are playing a the game, they will not. This is where it starts. 
spiritual bankruptcy. You, for the first time in your life, through a, through the, the measure of faith that you were, that's what I love about the word when Paul teaches, we were all given a measure of faith. Everybody was given the same measure of faith. What was that faith? That faith was to come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ was, to be justified, regenerated, and behold, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, behold, all things are made new. That's what it is. What was made new? The spirit that dwells within me. I am no longer under the power of Antichrist. I now, for the first time in my life, can choose good over evil. Before that, all I can do is choose evil. These people understand that Jesus is saying, you can't be like the religious elite. You've got to come to me and you've got to admit that you, there is absolutely nothing about you that is worth anything. You see yourself for who you are for the first time and you see that you're a sinner. And you see this. This is the greatest part. There is absolutely nothing that you can do in your power to change that. And guess what? That's for the rest of your life. There is nothing you can do to change the fact that you are who you are today, save one thing, and that is to stay in the process of sanctification. That is our duty. The parallels that run, God is sovereign and we have a job to do. This whole idea is once saved, always saved, and you can go live your life the way you want to. It is not in this word. That is ridiculous. And that is going to lead so many people to hell, just like the sinner's prayer. There's so many things that it will. I love Paul Washer for that. He said the sinner's prayer will lead more people to hell than anything if they don't truly seek. Because you show up, everybody bow their hand, raise your hand if you want to make a, close your eyes, bow your head. That's not a profession of faith, everyone. That's not a confession of who Christ Jesus is. That might make your heart feel better, but that's not the reality of this. It's an open, public, and here's the biggest part. What does that mean after that? Go to the Ten Commandments. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Everybody thinks that's a curse word. Don't curse. It's not ideal. But th that curse word, it doesn't diminish who God is one bit. He doesn't, that doesn't change who he is. You know, what, you know what that really means in the real time is? To take the Lord's name in vain, which means to make it nothing at naught, is to claim that you're something and live a life opposed to it because you make God look foolish. And you push people away just like that preacher does by telling people lies. That is making God's name vain. That's making it as though it's not real, it's not true, it's garbage. That's what that truly means, and a lot of people don't like that either. So exactly what is Jesus trying to convey in the first words of this life-altering teaching? What is, God, what is he trying to tell this group of people? We'll start with Romans 6, <coughs> 23. I have them all on here, guys, like I always do, so I'm going to go through them because time. I mean, we just have a certain amount of time. We have 20 minutes left. So Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Number one, you're going to die and go to hell. That's the gospel message. Why did Jesus come? To save those who were lost and dying. He came to save a lost and dying world. Then we go to John 10 and 10. I love this one. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You were dead and now you, you are truly alive. If you've been born again, and that's the, I'm going to be honest with you, that's one of the things that I think is great is I don't know if you're, if you're saved this morning. I can look at the fruit of your life and I can tell. But I also know at the same time that if God, if God who decided your, 
if you're saved or not, I did I don't get to decide that. It says I, I cannot condemn you. I don't judge you twenty nine nineteen verses twenty nine seventeen. That's a that's a judgment of condemnation. I judge you based on what you do, which is actually the same thing as discernment. There's a difference. In Matthew seven, he's talking about discernment. When he says, I mean, when, don't judge, he's talking about condemnation. I cannot judge you to condemn you, but if you continue reading Matthew 7, what does he eventually say? You'll know them by the fruit they bear. So what am I now? Now I'm using what? I'm using my discernment because I'm filled with the Spirit of God. Hebrews chapter 5, you, there are those of you, and some of us are like that. At the time, you ought to be teachers. I've got to go back and teach you the first principles, teach you the first things, because you're on milk again. But you should be able to discern the difference between good and evil at this point. Then Hebrews chapter 6, he starts immediately. But hey, guess what? I can't help that, so I'm going to, I'm going to move right on. Some of you are never going to get past the elementary principles of Jesus Christ about salvation and deaths and washings. And, but guess what? I'm teaching it anyway. Because there are those of you out there who are of the, of the fold that need to know the truth so you can come to saving faith. And that's exactly what we have to do in this class, in that pulpit, and everywhere in between. The truth has to be put out in a loving way, but it has to be put out. So then how do we receive this gift? This is the great part. How do we go about receiving this gift? Well, <clears throat> Ephesians 1 and 13 in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you see that? The gospel is your salvation. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's why the idea that I can be saved and then I have to wait for an infilling of the Spirit at a later date makes no sense. There's nothing in here that says, okay, I listened to a message. That's what happened to me. I got saved later after a message at night at like almost midnight in a bathroom. But I had listened to what the Word of God had said that day. God had been dealing with me because that's what He does. Gave me that measure of faith. I acted on that measure of faith. I do have self-will to act or not. But here's the thing is, if you go through TULIP, and that's just all, everybody has a different idea of that, but how can I resist that truly? If I truly see myself for who I am, because I went and stood in front of the mirror, and I am looking at myself, and I know me, and I know everything about me, and for the first time in my life, I saw me for who I was. How in the world can I, how could I logically deny the love of God in that moment? I couldn't. It was impossible. I mean, it really was. I, this is my thing. If ever God ever, ever you have that, I don't see how you can deny it. Undeniable grace is what Tulip calls it, but I mean, the reality of it is, how do you deny such a love? I, I don't know how people do it, but apparently they do, because not all people will be saved. But it says, few are called, but many are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. So everyone gets the gospel. John 1 and 9, I don't understand that. Jesus Christ is the light that lights the heart of all men that come into the world. Everybody has an idea. Romans chapter 1, what does it tell us? Even creation tells us, starting in 119, even creation tells us that there is something greater than us. There's an intellect created this, not just happenstance. So we're without fault. That's the bad thing. That's why the Word of God can say when we stand before Him, we will be without fault. Because even everything cries out, there's a God. Everything. Intelligent design is everywhere we look, even within our bodies. So you must first listen and then believe. Romans 10, 13 through 15. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Why would you call out on someone you don't, you don't believe in? 
How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? If you've never heard about him, how can you believe? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And it's just happenstance that it's not. No, it's God's providence is what it is that you're here this morning because that's exactly what happens when the Gideons send out Bibles. The Word of God is sent out. How in the world can people around the world know who a God is, know who Jesus Christ is without being able to have the ability to hear about Him? That's, that's the reality right there. You put this in a person's hand. That's what you're doing. It's, 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 it's an ounce from this place we are sending out the gospel of Jesus Christ and placing it in people's hands. That's a reality. That's why we support the Gideons the way that we do, because of all the organizations, they're the most upright of all the Christian organizations that we've looked into. The way that they spend their money, the things they do, it's real. It's legit. And they're doing just what Romans 10, 13 through 15 says. They're sending it out. How can they believe if they don't hear? Everybody needs a Bible. Everybody needs God's Word. There's men who are people that are over there. You have a church, an underground church. Someone comes in and they steal all of them. They've got to replace those Bibles. Those preachers need Bibles to preach with. They get them from them. That's how this works. It's amazing. But that's how it is. So then we go on. We move on to Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. Again, we're talking about how do we receive this gift? Because listen, if you're not saved this morning, you can be. That's the most awesome part about the Word of God, honestly. At any moment, it's all the way to the last breath, you can be saved. That's how good God is. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. You see that? Do you see anything about you in there? This ain't about you, believer. This is about God. What you have is because of Him. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ excuse me Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing richness riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus that's why it says if we're in Christ Romans 8 and 1 there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus this is your promise then he goes on for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. We're right back where we started. The measure of faith that we were all given was to be saved. Now, faith is just like a muscle. Do you understand that? It's to be exercised. And the more you exercise a muscle, what happens to it? It gets stronger. My faith is made stronger. Every time I go through adversity, every time something terrible happens, every time God moves on my behalf, your faith should get stronger, guys, not weaker. Hard times drive us one of two things. That's why I, I really, it upsets me when I see terrible things happen to certain people because it's going to do one of two things. Those things are all, it's God. It's all God. And it's made to do one of two things. It's either to drive you closer or you, you do the other. He wants to love you. All he wants to do is love you. Every moment of your life, God wants to love you. He says, in first, we are not vessels fit for wrath. He did not create you and I this morning to to. Okay, we go into Revelation. Go to Revelation 7, 8, 9. Go through there after he sees the assembly in heaven when they start pouring out the vials of wrath. Guess what? You and I were not fit for that. We are not vessels fit for wrath. We will never see that wrath. Even if we're here, because everybody believes different things about the rapture, and I don't even get into that because I don't care. I just want to go to heaven. Here's the deal. The children of Israel go all the way back whenever they were with Pharaoh. Did it say that, that they were plagued by the plagues? Most certainly not. None of those plagues befell them. 
None of them. Well, guess what? If you read the Word of God in Revelation, it tells you the same thing. All those terrible things that are happening, even if we were to be here, none of it would happen to us. Because in, in Revelation chapter 18 is the last time that God calls for them to come out from among her. And in the Word of God, it says in Revelation that what? There were those under the, under the seat that have been martyred. And they're asking, how soon, how soon? There will be martyrs through the great tribulation who will make it. But the only way you make it is martyrdom. So all the way to Revelation 18, he's still calling. All this is, that, this is what we're talking about. Now is the time. Don't wait another moment. Now is the time for salvation. Let today be the day. Don't wait. Please don't wait. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It has nothing to do with you. You can't work your way in here. That's the problem, the biggest problem with Catholicism. It's not about works. I don't work my way into heaven. I most certainly don't die and then someone pays my way or some other way into it. Guys, that is the doctrine of demons. Go to, go to Jude and read Jude. Jude is all about that. That's what, it, that's what that is. Okay, there were 500 people. There were 500 people, 180 in the upper room. And then there were 500 who watched him ascend. Okay, and then how many were there on the day of Pentecost? How many were there? Not got saved, but how many were there? There wasn't 620 people there. What did all those people do? They created everything else that, that you see today. There was a group, a core group. He said there would be a remnant. There was a remnant of 620 people who stuck to the truth and adhered to it and persevered as saints. The rest of them went about making everything else that we see around us confusion. It's of Satan. That's the truth. Don't have to like it. It's just the truth. I want the truth myself. Pursue the truth, and it will be given to you. That's a promise too. Romans 10, 9 through 8, again, how do we receive this gift? Well, pretty simple. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, not in here, in your intellect, intellectually. And then that once it's intellectual and you understand it, then it's spiritual. Because you got to believe this spiritually. It's not just in your mind. This is in your spirit. We live a spiritual life. Read Romans 8 really well. It's all about the spirit. We walk in the spirit. We do everything in the spirit, not the flesh. You will be saved for with the heart a person believes. So with your intellect, you believe. Okay? Resulting in righteousness. Because I believe that it is true and I accept it as truth, it is righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. Now, let's define those a little better. Confess. 3670 is to align oneself in full agreement with the teaching. So confession doesn't mean this. I love the Lord. I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. Well, congratulations. Prove it. Honestly, now prove it. Because here's the deal. If you don't, you just make God's name vain. Congratulations. He really hates that. He says that's an abomination. He didn't say that's going to send you to hell. He just said, you know what? I really don't like that. You've stumbled. I need you to get back where you're supposed to be. And he does that for us. That's the great part. So, so whenever we first realized that we were sinners and where we were and we were undone, we repented of our sin. So what does it look like to, that, to stay like this, repenting of your sin every day? Every moment, every time that it pricks you, repent of your sin. We can go boldly before the throne. What, is, what does 1 John say? 1 John says, if we... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Y'all, they're talking to the church in 1 John. The word of God is talking to the church. It's not talking to the sinner. Most of the time, this is to the church. This is to you and I. He's telling you, you need to repent every day. You're not perfect. 
Because this idea that people say, well, I live a sinless life. I don't ever have to repent. Let me explain something to you. Every sin that you ever sinned, if you're a true believer and born again, it has been forgiven. Every one of them. But you need to repent. You don't need to just add one on top of the other. Because what did, what did Paul say? Okay, cool. So what you're telling me is grace is so awesome and grace is so abundant that it's greater than sin. So does that mean that we should go about sinning so that grace would abound? God forbid. No. Confess your sins. And that means to repent, to turn from that and move on with your life. If Jesus Christ could tell Peter, who was a knucklehead of all knuckleheads, 70 times 7, you must forgive another man. You don't think God will forgive you every single time? You don't think that he has the ability? You don't think he already factored in everything you were going to do in your Christian life? Nothing takes him off guard. There is absolutely nothing that you have ever done in your life that would keep you away from, from Jesus. There's nothing that you can do as a saved person a truly saved person that can keep you away from Jesus because he says this, those who belong to him will persevere. You may stay gone 20 years. You may stay gone 25 years. You're going to come back. How do I know that? Because the word of God says that. That's the only thing I have with Baptist faith. And their one thing is, is, is Article 5. I don't like it. It starts out solid. But then it says, even if I do all these things, even if I never repent, even if I never come back, I'm still, that's not true. That's not a saved person. That is not a truly saved, repentant person. Because the Word of God says that person will persevere. And if we go to, if we go to Revelation and we look at what persevere means, what does that mean? Look at what he tells to the churches. He tells them a lot of really hard things, but then he says, but to he who overcomes, I will. This is the same kind of promise right here. This is a revelation promise. So the heart, the center of the seat of spiritual life, the soul or mind, as it is the foundation and seat of thought, passion, desire, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. It's who you are. At your core, that's your heart. Think about what you used to think about all the time. Think about the things you used to say all the time. That's who you were. You're not that anymore. If you can see, if you can, and I love this about God, God doesn't have a timetable for, for me that's your timetable. God has a timetable for me. It depends on my relationship and how much I want out of it. There's a 30, 60, 100, doesn't it say that? that but you're going to be 30-fold at least. But here's the awesome part. It doesn't matter where you are in your walk. It matters where I am with God in my walk. I can't look at you and say, well, you've been doing this 40 years and I've been doing it five and I am miles above you. Thank God. He's given you that ability. That ability is not in you, believer. Pray for that other person. Pray that, that God would move on them, but accept the fact that they may be a 30-fold. And that's good enough because he says in his word it is in the sower. How can I say that you should be more than you are? Jesus said you 30-fold and you're perfectly where you're supposed to be. I don't know where you are. And I don't judge people based on that. Thank God you're here today. Thank God you made a choice to be here to listen to this word. You'll listen to the next word. You made a conscious decision to be here. You realize something, that you were poor in spirit. You're destitute. Without God, you have absolutely nothing. That's, that's what matters. So then <clears throat> we move on to Jesus says is. How can we live life? I love this too. How can we live life assured that those who belong to him will persevere? Because you know, that's a really big question. Because if you know what Calvinism is, and, and let me explain something to you. If you look into John Calvin, John Calvin was not a Calvinist. And if Calvin was alive today, he would be very upset that they call it Calvinism. He was not that type of man. He did not want a religion, a religious type thing named after him. But here's the deal. A guy asked a question. He said, well, if, a, if, if everything was predestined before time, why would you evangelize? Why would you go out? Why would you pray for people? Why would you do anything? 
And you, you sit and think about that. Okay, so what you're saying is if God has predestined and willed that who's going to be saved is going to be saved, and exactly what's going to happen is exactly what's going to happen, why would I want to go out and do that? Because I can't ever fail. I can never fail. That means that if I rise up every day and I walk in the Spirit of God and I do exactly what God asked me to, there's no way I can fail. You cannot find that promise anywhere in this world. I will never fail what God has for me to do. Why would I want to believe in something like Calvinism? Because I can't fail. All I've got to do is do what I do. And even when I don't do what's right, God is going to make up for it. Oh, that is awesome. Jesus said is. So Ephesians 1, 11 through 12 is some of what we've already read, but let's read the rest of that. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. It's not about you, of what you did. It's about what he does for you. And to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Read that. Do you think that God is not going to glorify his son in the day he actually says he is? There will be a bride for you. You will be glorified. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. I've given you all power and authority over everything. That's amazing. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, we continue the thought. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, were sealed in him with the Holy Ghost of promise. That's a promise. Does God lie? No. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. The Spirit of God that's in you is a pledge made by God to you that you will be his. Who can take that away? God is not a liar. That's awesome. He says, given to you who is a pledge given to you of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. You will be redeemed. Keep Just stay in this. Don't ever quit. Don't ever quit. Ephesians 2 and 10. Why? For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when, church? Beforehand so that we would walk in them. We will endure. We will walk in those. Why? Because He said so. Because he created us to do those things and predestined that you and I, all the stuff that we do that's knuckleheaded, all the trouble that we find ourselves in, don't worry about that anymore. Repent and turn from it and go about living your life in Christ because that's where you are. If you feel condemnation, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. If you have condemnation, you're not saved. I'm not being mean. I'm being honest with you for a moment. In those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. What you and I feel now is conviction. Just conviction. You should never feel condemned as in Christ. As a child of God that is born again believer, you are never will ever be condemned ever again. Now you will be convicted. You will be whooped. You will be scolded. Your life will be, it will be terrible. But never again will you ever be condemned. You can't be condemned because you belong to him. And greater is he who is in the world than he who is in the world. Jesus is greater. Next, Ephesians 2. I mean, sorry, Romans 8, 29 through 30. Awesome one. For those who for, he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed, conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. If he called you and chose you, he will glorify you. Do you see that? That, that is a promise, guys. We can hold on to that. That cannot be taken away. Here's some of the ones that's really awesome from Psalms and Proverbs. This is this kind of scary stuff if you ask me, but I, I love it. Okay, so when he falls, he will not be hurtled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. 
You ain't going to see that. I, it didn't say this is where prosperity gospel is. It, it falls short. You're not going to get a new car and you don't need three $54 million Learjets and a G5 and all that. That's not reality. Those guys are charlatans and devils and they will burn in a lake of fire if they don't change their ways. This says right here that what you need, you will have. Because what, what did Jesus even say? I have bread that you've never eaten of. What I have is what you need. The life that I have is what you need. Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the word, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what we should look at. Proverbs 16:1. The plans of the heart belong to man. That heart that it talks about, that I do, I, 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 I. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Why do you not say the things that you want to say a lot of time? Because that answer came from God. Because guess what, Christian? Romans 8, you were living in the Spirit. Congratulations. Once again, you were living in the Spirit in that moment. Because God spoke those words because you know the ones that were in your mind. Proverbs 16 and 9. This mind of, this mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Who directs his steps? You think that it's you, but it's not. Listen, even God even uses the wicked for his purpose. What does that mean? Uh, everything that happens every single day, however it happens, he's using it for his plan, his purpose, his will. And it's all for the good of those who believe in him. The last one, Proverbs 19 and 21. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. If you are truly praying God's will, this is what I ask you to do. If you are saved, and really saved, born again, and you know that, pray God's will in your life. Pray that you can accept God's will because our biggest problem we have is, is we pray, and the Word says we pray amiss. Um, oh, second, where is that? Four, chapter, four, four, Colossians? Nope. We pray amiss because we pray to fulfill our own lusts of our flesh. And it says that in those moments we are God-haters. Okay? We need to do a better job as born-again believers. And those who don't know the Lord... Please, please, I don't know. It was six years from the first time that God called me and I knew I should move forward and I didn't. It was six years before I heard from God again. And the next time, the next time, I ran. because, And I'll never go back. Because here's the other thing. It says Proverbs 29 and 1. The man who hardens his neck enough times, eventually he's broken and that, that is without remedy. That means that every single person, there is a moment. You hardened your heart first just like Pharaoh did. After that, God's business is to harden your heart because you did it first. You started it. You started it. He was trying the whole time to get that man to break, and he would not break. I, he didn't make it. He got swallowed up by the sea, and where, where the tree lies, there it falls. Where are you this morning, honestly? Are you what Jesus is talking about? Have you ever been that person? Blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is the kingdom of heaven yours? Truly. This isn't, well, I've been preaching for four years or I've been a Christian 30 years. I don't care. Because you know how many people get saved and they've been teaching Sunday school for 40 years? Thank God that they... They listened. Thank God that he still moved on them because they not only were they wicked, let there not be many masters because they'll receive the greater condemnation. These people knew the word of God here, but it never was in their spirit. They never were truly saved. Head knowledge is not enough. The people who know the Bible better than anybody are demons and those who are opposed to us. Even they believe, in, but yet they tremble 
We don't even have the fear of God and not and the understanding of God enough to be scared of the terrible, evil, sinful things we do as born-again believers. we got to do better. How do we do that in the Spirit? Because we've been given a promise. And that promise is, is that if I will allow the Spirit of God to work in me, He will sanctify me from glory to glory. And that there's coming a day of glorification. We have the greatest outcome of any, any. That's great. That's what that's the promise we have. If you would bow your heads. Father, we thank you again for another time to be in your word. God, I thank you for the attentiveness of the class this morning. I pray that as this goes out, God, that we would keep this in our heart. Father, impress upon us just what it means to be poor in spirit, God, to understand that day by day, no matter what riches we have in this life, we may have vehicles and we have boats and we have homes and we have hunting clubs and we have all these toys and things, but we can go to Revelation and he says that in Revelation chapter 3. None of that stuff matters. This is what I would do. I would get rid of that stuff and you need to buy a garment. You need to possess something that when you stand before me because all that other stuff is going to go away. We are rich in so many goods in this nation and that is why it is so evil and wicked. Father, please speak to men's hearts. God, let us be a witness this week. Let us shine a light before men. Let us not use your name in vain as we go about our lives living out God in front of them as we profess it with our mouth. Lord, let us live it out in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Learning Curve podcast brought to you by Abundant Grace Church here in DeVille, Louisiana. Uh, we invite you to look at our webpage. It is www.abundantgracechurchonline.com. Uh, there you can find all the different ways that you can uh, be in contact with us. Thank you. Thank you.